Certainly, <coughs> pardon me, certainly good to see each and every one of you here today. Um, <coughs> if you have your Bibles, like to turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter four. <coughs> I trust the things that are on my mind this morning are of the Lord, and he bless us together with the thoughts that are upon my mind and heart. And uh, I received a, uh, I know why these things are on my mind, it's because I received a, uh, some questions here a few days ago from an inquirer um, <clears throat> asking me some questions about the second coming of Christ and end time events. And, and I gave this person an answer. And so those, these are things on my mind. Her question was, I received a, um, a question that from a person who's interested in studying her Bible and she'd been she start basically her her message to me was this. She said, um, "I have some questions. If you give me what the you know asking me what the Bible teaches on these subjects." She said, "I grew up in a church uh, that taught concerning the end times that Christ would come, and there'd be a he'd come on the last day, the day of the resurrection." And there would be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked and a judgment. And those of the Lord's people go to be in heaven with him and the wicked to be consigned to the lake of fire. She said, the church I'm in now is, and this is a person that really, uh, I'm, I'm glad she learned enough to be able to communicate what she just did that this church taught. But she's really is now uh, trying to study the Bible for herself to see what it says. She says, I'm in a church now. And I hear them talk about there's going to be a rapture of the church and a tribulation period. Uh, she said, I grew up believing uh, and t- you know, <clears throat> being taught that when Christ comes again, that's it, everything's over, and you either made it to heaven or you didn't. And I'm hearing now that there's going to be a difference. The church I'm going to now is, is telling me that there's a rapture and, uh, of the church, of the believers to heaven, and then there'll be a seven-year period of tribulation where people get a second chance to be saved. And then there's a thousand-year reign. Can you help me? What do you believe the Bible to teach? on those things and so my answer uh that's what's on my mind today so i trust it so the lord i have never been able to maybe some people have a gift to preach on things that there's that's not on their mind but i'm not one of them i don't know how you even do that so if i have anything today it's of the lord it'd have to be this because um my mind is is geared toward this. My first thought that I had when she asked me that question was, first of all, salvation is not by chance. But she is learning now that there are some people who are left after the rapture get a second chance of being saved. And so... Um, and there's a lot in that. I didn't know exactly how to answer her or what I should. I, uh, I didn't want to be too wordy. I haven't dealt with that subject with her yet. But salvation, first of all, is not by chance. Uh, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. If salvation's just by chance, based upon how I respond to the gospel, or if I accept Christ as Savior, or whatever, if I be baptized or if I, you know, whatever conditions of human effort that a person might place on me that I've got to check off this box or that box, 
that Christ has, you know, died for folks to make a way, but that way is not really certain, and it's just by chance whether I do my part or not. If salvation's by chance, then I would say this, it's a chance no one's going to make it. Is that right? I mean, you know, if there's if it's all just by chance, then there's a chance that after all that Christ has done on the cross and all that he's done, there's a chance that maybe no one will make it. It's not by chance, my friend. Salvation is by purpose. God saves people on purpose. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That speaks of purpose, does it not? That's Galatians 4.4. 4. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? To redeem. That is a purpose. And he came to redeem, and I believe that he redeemed all that he came to redeem. He did what he came to do. All right? So he does his will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He came to save. And we could... I don't want to belabor the point, but there's lots of places we could go to show clearly that salvation is not by chance. Salvation is 100% of the Lord, and he does all the work, and he came to redeem a people. And he did not just, and I've said that before in your hearing, I'm going to keep saying it, he didn't just come to die on the cross to make us redeemable. And there's a big difference in a Christ that came to actually redeem and actually redeem the people, all right? Versus the idea that Christ died to make men redeemable, all right? Because he didn't just come to make men redeemable, Christ actually redeemed us. So how do you know that? Well, the Bible clearly tells us that he redeemed the people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. All right? He didn't make us redeemable based on something that we do. There was actually a legal work of redemption that took place before he ascended back to the Father. Redemption is a done deal, all right? For all those for whom he died for that he redeemed. <clears throat> Remember the, uh, and so Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. So we were actually redeemed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, I believe, 13, 14, maybe 12, says, Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained redemption for us. See, that's past tense. He obtained redemption. All right? Salvation's not by chance, it was on purpose. And there's a legal work that he did upon the cross which actually saved us and delivered us from the wrath to come. Delivered us, that redeemed us, all right? And so there's a lot of places we could go showing that salvation isn't by chance, it's on purpose, all right? Um. Not by the blood of goats and kids, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. You know where that is, right? He entered into heaven. After his work, his atoning death on the cross of Calvary, and after his resurrection, he entered into the holiest of holies, having done what? Not just made redemption possible, but actually having redeemed us by his own blood. Okay? So um, another one comes to mind. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. That speaks of Christ being the express image of the Father's person. Upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do after he purged our sins? Not just made them purgeable or put awayable. I don't know if that's a word. To, to purge them, it means to put them away. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's on purpose. God had it all under control. All right, And after he purged our sins and delivered us from the consequences, just consequences of our sins, 
by him bearing our sins in his own body on the tree of the cross and drinking the cup of God's wrath that was due my sins. See, there's something real took place there. It's called redemption took place upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was manifested, it says in 1 John 3, 5, he was manifested to take away our sins. Does that show purpose? Why did he come into the world? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Look in Hebrews 9, verse 26, 27. What does he say? He had now appeared once in the end of the world to put away. Does that show purpose? It's not just a chance. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I'm here to announce the good news of the gospel is that he did it. He accomplished it. Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall what? He shall save his people from their sins. Shows purpose to me. It's not just he died for folks to... You know, give them a chance. Give them a chance. Mm. Depending on what? <clears throat> on if they accept Christ as Savior? I was in a... I, I, <clears throat> most of the funerals I go to, I'm preaching them. I went to one a few year, couple of years ago, and I couldn't hardly stand to sit on there because the preacher got up. And said, you know, we don't know if, basically, we don't know whether this guy made it or not. Christ has done all that he's going to do, and now it's up to you. It's your choice. You choose this day. Do you want to go to heaven, or do you gonna want to perish in your sins? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's all up to you. You know, a lot of people teach in this world... And there's people who don't understand what I'm trying to preach to you today about the sovereignty of God and salvation. That they're, they're, they're really strong in the sovereignty of God. They are in this life. And there's people who tell you God's got it all handled. He's the sovereign. The, king's, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he has rivers of water. He'll turn it whatsoever way. God's on his throne. Don't worry about the evils of men. God's got our back. God is for us. He's got everything covered. He does his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Except when it comes to salvation. Then it's not so sure. He doesn't have it all covered because he's done all he's going to do and he just made a sacrifice to give you a chance and it's, you know, I mean, depending on what you choose, he's going to choose how which way you go. That's taught. And he said, and, I, and I, I've heard of them taking an occasion at a funeral and say, well, I don't know if this guy went or not. But I saw it. And it was, and you know, I mean, it's true. He either went up or he went down. Right? He's either saved or he's not. But then he said, you know, it's all, he said, it's your choice whether you go to heaven or whether you don't. Christ has done all he's going to do. And it's up to you. He gave you, he did, he made it, he made a way where there was no way to give you a chance, basically. All right? Well, brother, salvation's not by chance. Christ actually didn't just die on the cross to make us redeemable, but he redeemed a people. He saved a people. He purged our sins. And when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, successful in his purpose to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I didn't really address her on that subject yet. She was specifically asking about what about this rapture and this second chance and a thousand year reign. She said that's different than what I was taught in my former church. But I hear more and more people and she, she said I hear that my preacher's preaching that and I, I send you know things on social media there's lots of people who believe that. And I said, well, you're right. And I said, I 
believe that what you taught, what you learned in your former church is right. That there's going to be a day. And so I shared with her, as I'm going to share with you because it's on my mind, some of the reasons that I believe that when Christ comes back, when I, and I preached not long ago, a few months ago on eschatology, I don't know if you remember that or not, about what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is this, there's going to come a day which the Lord's going to come again. Aren't you looking forward to when he comes again? He's going to come a day. And I believe the Bible teaches it's the last day. And there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked together at the same time. Then there's going to be a judgment. And then there's going to be the entrance of the righteous into glory and the, in, the departure of the wicked into torment. Okay? And so my view, and I know there's differences of opinion on this, but I'm going to give you what I understand. You know, God holds me accountable to teach what I see in the Word of God and give you the Word of God for what is truth, okay? So I shared with her some of the reasons that I believe that her former teaching was correct versus the latter teaching she's been receiving. So I want to talk a little bit about the rapture. And what does the Bible say about the rapture? We go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now the word rapture is not here, but there is a word that is, uh, means a rapture or a gathering together. And we're going to read it here. Let me just start here in verse 13 though. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. <sighs> He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. <clears throat> he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Okay. So in this passage of scripture, <coughs> He is dealing with the resurrection of the dead. He's, and specifically, um, he's addressing the saints of God that are rising from the dead. But what I want you to see here in verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up, to, that word caught up is where people get the word that's used, the rapture. We're going to be caught up. And of course, the idea is... Um, that she had been taught, being taught, is that there's going to time when the righteous, that it's going to be a, a time that the Lord comes, there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous, okay? And those that, saints that are alive and remain are going to be caught up and raptured and going to be taken up to heaven. And that's going to uh, begin a tribulation period of seven years, Um and I know there's differences, nuances. Uh, there's people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture. But primarily I'm going to just deal with the idea that there's going to be a rapture and a seven-year period of tribulation. And then the Lord is going to uh, come down and he's going to establish a millennial reign upon the earth where live and reign a thousand years okay and then after the thousand years there's going to be the resurrection of the wicked dead and the great white throne judgment that's that's kind of a a fast explanation of that view all right but i want to just focus on some of the things of why i don't believe that is an accurate view okay and I'm going to look, uh, I'm not going to go into the book of Revelation today. 
I'm going to stick with what Christ and the apostles taught in the epistles. Okay, those are clear in my mind. So the first thing that, and I'll just, I'll tell you this. So several years ago, several years ago now, I received a letter in the mail. You know, when you're a preacher, somehow you get on these lists and, they, you know, you get all this, this mail. And I got a piece of mail. You remember the Left Behind series from Tim LaHaye wrote, you know? And um, they made movies out of that, right? Of course, the idea is, the idea of a rapture is, is taught by at least dispensationalists. Uh, you know, there's people who, I don't need to go into that, but you know, all, not all, you ever heard of dispensationalism? All right. Well, not all pre, pre, the people who believe in um, not all premillennialists are dispensationalists, but all dispensationalists are premillennialists. Okay, they hold this view. But anyway, Tim Hay wrote the idea is that there's going to be a secret rapture where you're going to be going along, and, and Corden, he, he brought this out in his books, right? That there's going to be, you know, you're going to be on a plane, and all of a sudden the rapture comes, and maybe your pilot's gone, right? Or you're going to be driving your car, or you've seen bumper stickers, uh, you probably says, in case of rapture, this car will be vacant. You ever seen one of those, right? The idea is a secret rapture, all right? Well, the the very first thing that I see that, doesn't add up with that in my mind is that I don't find what I just read to you being very secret. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend with, from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. I don't know how that's secret. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, that's just using my common sense. I don't think there's going to be a secret rapture. And if it happens that way, I don't think it's going to be secret when the Lord's going to give a shout. All right, but anyway, the idea of those books and the movie brought out that it's going to be kind of a secret thing and you're going to, you know, just going to wake up one day and all these people are going to be gone. All right? And that begins the seven years of tribulation. And, uh, of course, the, the scripture that's referred to, left behind, is found over in Matthew 24. Two shall be, you know, the... Uh, let's turn over there real quick. Matthew chapter 24. <coughs> Matthew chapter 24. Start reading in verse 36. <coughs> but of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah, Noe, that's Noah, that's a New Testament spelling for Noah, okay? But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women should be grinding at the mill, the one should be taken and the other left. All right? So that's, that's given the idea of, 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 you know, taken. All right? The one should be taken, the other left. In other words, the other one's going to be left behind. And that was the title of that series and also the movie. And we get back to what I was telling you is uh, somewhere in my files at home, I have a letter that was sent to me, and as a pastor, they were going to give me the chance to have the first viewing on of this Left Behind movie so I could show it to the people in my congregation, all right? And what struck me out of all that was said, and I kid you not, here's what was said. He said, show this movie to the people that you're preaching to and help scare people into heaven. End quote. Scare people into heaven. All right? Well, that goes back to the idea salvation is by chance. 
And a lot of that that drives that is that very thing. Show this movie. I mean, isn't that kind of scary? You don't want to be left behind, do you? When the Lord comes in the rapture, you sure enough don't want to be left behind. You want to be taken. That's the idea. Okay. The problem I have with that is that the ones, according to this, that are the taken are the ones that God's taken in judgment. The ones that are in a good place are the ones that are actually left behind. You say, that sounds crazy. Well, it's not. So how did you come to that conclusion? Just by doing a little comparison of the scriptures. See, when I read this in Matthew chapter 24, let's read this again. Verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now, people will read that, and here's, the I think, the problem, is there say the flood came and took Noah away to a place of safety. The flood came and took them all away, thinking that's talking about Noah and his family. See, he was saved by water, saved by the flood. God, the flood came and God took him away to a place of safety there on the ark while he destroyed all the sinners on the earth. That's not what he's talking about. This coming of the Lord is a coming of the Lord in judgment. And those, when the flood came and took them away, it's not talking about Noah and his family being saved. It's talking about God took out all the sinners on the earth by a flood and destroyed them. All right? So how do you know that? Well, let's do a little comparison. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. I didn't learn this at a seminary. I didn't learn this. I, I just use a little common sense and read and study, and we're going to find. In other words, you can learn the same thing that I did. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Let's do a little comparison. Because Luke gave his account this way. And I want you to put your, keep, keep your, if you're following along in the scriptures, keep your hand there on Matthew chapter 24. Turn with another hand to Luke 16, 17. We're going to do a little comparison. Luke chapter 17. Verse 26 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Wait a minute. See, the flood came and took them all away. That's what it says in verse 39 of Matthew 24. Look, read it. Look at it. He says, he knew not until the flood came and took them all away. What's the alternative? What's the other reading? In Luke 17, the flood came and destroyed them all. See, he, he, the ones that were left <clears throat> were the ones that were spared from judgment and were not destroyed. You see that? <clears throat> Let's keep reading here in Luke 17. But as, verse six, 26, And as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came upon, came and destroyed them all. God is coming in judgment by a flood and the flood destroyed all the people that were not in the ark. The one that was left was Noah and his family. The ones that were taken or destroyed was all the other people on the outside of the ark. You see that? Likewise, verse 28, also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they, they sold, they planted. Someone says, what's wrong with, with selling and planting and buying? Nothing. That's set there to show that they're just living their life just, you know, like they normally do. They're doing this. They're going about their business. You ever heard, the talks about the day of the Lord should come as a thief in the night? 
Yeah. I mean, they're not looking for it. They're not watching for it. They're just, you know, day after day, they're buying, they're selling, they're eating, they're, they're doing their normal things of life, and all of a sudden, boom, this is the day when the Lord comes back. And the Bible talks about how when the Lord comes, the second time, when he comes with his saints, it's a day of judgment. Jude 14 says, he says, Behold, the, day, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly ways, which ungodly sinners have committed. He's talking about when he comes back, there's a day of the resurrection and a judgment when he comes back. All right? That's what I understand the Bible to teach. All right? And I got scripture for that. So, we see here that Lot ate, drank. In the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What did God use to destroy these at Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire. Who was left? Lot. What did God use to destroy the sinners and those who had imagination of their heart only evil continually in the days of Noah? It, he destroyed them by a flood. Who was left? Noah. I'm going to tell you when judgment comes, you want to be the one that's left. Okay? In all sincerity. <laughs> you don't want to be taken in the judgment of God. Those outside the ark were taken. The flood came and took them all away. The flood came and destroyed them all. Two shall be in a field. One's going to be taken. The other's going to be left. Like Noah was left. See, it's just backwards, according to what I'm reading here, of what men think. They say, well, I don't want to be left. Oh, no, you do. Because the ones that are taken are the ones that's destroyed. Not the ones taken to heaven. Not the ones spared. <clears throat> Noah was left. Lot was left. The others were under the judgment of God. All right? So, um, when we talk about enough on the, the rapture, and you may ask the question, though, well, Brother Vince, over there in 1 Thessalonians where you read, you're saying that's the general resurrection of the dead. Why isn't it that anything said about the wicked being raised? Well, that's a good question. And to me, the obvious answer is that's not what he was attempting to set forth. Why did he even say anything about the resurrection of the righteous in this place in God's holy word? He tells us in verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For the Lord himself, he says, but we, he says, uh, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He's, he's comforting them and saying, look, here's the hope of the resurrection of those who die in the Lord. Those that die in the Lord, guess what's going to happen? The Lord's going to come. He's going to speak and they're going to come out. And they're going to be gathered and you're not going to go before those saints that are dead in the ground. They're going to be raised up. You'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to be in the Lord with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting truth to talk about the resurrection and glorification of the righteous for whom Christ died. Comfort one another with these words. All right. And this resurrection, and so, and so that's some of my thoughts on the rapture, all right? It's not a, a silent thing. There's a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trouble of God. I don't think it's a secret when the Lord comes again and raises his children, all right? All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. I believe the Bible to teach, and I told this young lady that the Bible teaches, like I'm telling you, the Bible teaches what has been referred to as a general resurrection of the dead. A general resurrection. All right? I believe the Bible teaches that when he comes, he's going to speak, and all that in the graves are going to come forth, 
they have done good in the resurrection of life. They've done evil in the resurrection of damnation. It's a general resurrection. And Paul seems to teach that same truth. And we'll get back to where that scripture is I just quoted. But let's turn with me to Acts chapter 14. And I'm talking about a general resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked when the Lord comes and he speaks, they all come out. As opposed to just a resurrection of the righteous and then you go seven, a thousand seven years to the end of the millennium and you have the resurrection of the wicked. All right? I don't see that Paul, that seems to contradict what Paul and Christ both taught. All right, let's turn to me. And so I shared this with the young lady. <clears throat> this is why I believe in a general resurrection rather than two separate re- resurrections of the righteous and wicked. Here's why I believe it. Right, why do you believe it, Brother Vince? Well, in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, <clears throat> Paul is there before the, the Jews, before Ananias, the high, Ananias, the high priest, giving a defense He says in verse 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. All right? Say, well, Brother what do you see in that? Well, I see in that that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead consisting both of the just and of the unjust. He did not say there would be multiple resurrections. He didn't say there would be resurrections of the dead, one for the righteous, and then some other time, one for the wicked. He said there would be a resurrection of the dead. That's one. That's one. You know, if I said to you that, you know, the <clears throat> with all this hating of the policemen that seems to be apparent and the defunding the police movements and all that's going on, which leads to anarchy, by the way, uh, with all that going on today, that the uh, leaders and the mayors of Bryan College Station decided that they're going to hold a uh, an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firefighters. All right? Imagine in your mind, can you kind of imagine what that might look like? What, what, what are they going to do? Well, we're going to hold an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firefighters. How do you think that would look? Well, you might see a big, you know, meeting area, a big, big room and tables, and, you know, you'd see, you know, what, what, what do you picture in your mind when I say that? There's going to be... <coughs> A, an appreciation dinner for both policemen and firemen. If you're imagining what that might look like, I dare say not a one of you is thinking in your mind and picturing one appreciation dinner for policemen and then on another day over here, one for firefighters. Did anybody have that in their mind? No. Why? Well, you said there would be an appreciation dinner. That's, that's just one. And it consists both of policemen and firefighters. All right, We get that picture of them both being together because I said an appreciation dinner. Now, if I'd have said there's going to be appreciation dinners, plural, for policemen and firemen, you might have thought, okay, well, that's more than one, so probably going to have one for policemen, going to have one for firefighters. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Paul says there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. It's going to be one resurrection, And this one resurrection, there's going to be the righteous and the wicked coming out at the same time. That's how I understand that. And Jesus seems to uh, uh, confirm the same thing. Turn with me to John chapter 5. He's just got finished talking about the new birth, how that he speaks. The time is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. They they live spiritually through the life-giving voice of the Son of God. And then he says over here in verse 28, marvel not at this. Marvel not at what? Christ speaking and giving life. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. How many is going to come out? All that's in the graves. 
They that have done good in the resurrection of life. They that have done evil in the resurrection of damnation. There's the righteous and the wicked in one call come forth and they all come out. There is a resurrection of the dead, both the just and of the unjust. Which is inconsistent with the view that this young lady was hearing. That there's going to be one resurrection, the day of the rapture, wait seven years, and then thousand years later, the resurrection of the wicked. And people who look at this, that believe that scenario and that outline, I don't know, you know, there's not, it's not that Christ marveled not at this for the hour is coming, which all in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good. And then there's going to be a, I mean, there's nothing indicating here that there's a thousand years pause after he commands them to come out, that the righteous come and then the wicked doesn't come out for a long time later. No. He speaks and they come forth. Alright? So I shared that with this young lady. I also shared the fact that the Bible teaches that the resurrection of the righteous is going to be on the last day. And not... I mean, the last day is the last day, in my understanding. There's no days after the last day. The Bible teaches that the resurrection of the righteous is going to be on the last day. So well, what is the Bible, you said that two times now. Where does it say that? Well, let's turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. When Lazarus died, we find that uh, Martha said unto him, verse 24, after Jesus said, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection of the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? So, you say, well, that's what Martha said. Well, I just point out here, the Lord didn't correct Martha and say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> the resurrection is not the last day. It's actually 1,007 years before the last day. He didn't say that. He did not correct her because obviously, so why do you think that she was being, why do you think she believed the resurrection would be at the last day? Because that's what she was learning in the early New Testament church through Christ and the apostles. The resurrection's on the last day. All right. Well, that's just Martha. You say that's just Martha's testimony. That's true. Let's let's get the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to John chapter six. And the Lord, I'm going to say, makes a point. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say he made the point because I don't know what he was thinking. But let me just say he told us three times in this same chapter that the resurrection of the righteous is going to be on the last day. Let's read them right here. John chapter 6. He says, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. All right? At the last day. And this is the will of him which sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 44, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. For whatever reason, the Lord just said three times that he's going to raise up those of his children that the Father gave him to save. He's going to raise them up at the last day and I just don't believe there's I mean I think the last day means the last day alright oh no by the way talk about the last day that's when the judgments there's going to be people judged in the last day go to John chapter 12 verse 48 Jesus said he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him the same shall judge him in the last day alright the last day. If the resurrection is going to be in the last day and the judgment of those that reject Christ is going to be in the last day, sounds like it's the same day to me. And I shared that. It's going to be the same day. 
And I know I did that quick. You want to, I'll give you time to turn over and look at that. John chapter 12, verse 48, I believe it is, if I got that right. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Sounds like to me the judgment's going to be at the last day. Sounds like to me the resurrection's going to be at the last day. And also there's going to be a, I've already quoted Jude verse 14, that the judgment of the wicked is going to be on the day that the Lord comes again with all his saints. Look, turn with me to Jude 14. Jude 14. And I'm not going to tell you what chapter that is. <laughs> we got Bible readers out there, don't we? There's only one, I don't know if you call it a chapter, it's just one. It's the book. All right, there's no chapters. So Jude 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. To do what? To execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds and their hard speeches, which they have ungodly committed. Um, uh, which they have, uh, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. All right? <clears throat> so we see... That when the Lord comes back, the Bible teaches there's going to be a resurrection when the Lord comes back. We got a picture of it there and an explanation of it that we started out there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's when the thief on the cross and spirit and soul is going to come back. Because that's when there's going to be a resurrection. See, the Lord's coming back with his saints. We see this, look in, look in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I can't even find Thessalonians right now. Why won't it go there? I'm hitting this all around it, all right? And what's interesting in the book of Thessalonians, I think it's interesting, you'll find in all five chapters there, he mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that. Let's just do, go through that real quick. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, They themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You remember what I started with this morning? That it was done on purpose, salvation's on purpose. He delivered the people from the wrath to come through what he did on the cross. Didn't just make him deliverable. Well, I just throw that in. But look, they're waiting for his Son from heaven. They're waiting for Christ to come again. In the second chapter, verse 19. For what is our hope or crown or, or, or uh, hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye, even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? When he comes again the second time without sin unto salvation. When he comes again to take his children home. When he comes again and all the graves are going to come forth. There's going to be a resurrection of the righteous. He says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now I'll go to chapter 3, verse 12. Paul does a little prayer here and he says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, even as we do towards you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. See, when the Lord comes again, he's not coming by himself. The saints, those that have died in the Lord, their bodies are in the grave. But there's going to be, when he comes again, there's going to be a resurrection. That's why the saints come with the Lord. And at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints and spirit and soul, they're going to come. I now go to the fourth chapter, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also would sleep in Jesus. Those that have died in the Lord shall God bring with him. See, the saints are coming with him. Because there's going to be a resurrection. But I point out again, Jude 14, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints to execute just judgment upon all. It's also the day of judgment. And it's also the last day. Remember, remember John chapter 12, verse 48? He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The same shall, words shall judge him in the last day. When's the resurrection of the righteous? 
last day. How about the wicked, last day? I mean, he's going to have to bring them out before he judges them, and the judgment's on the last day. All right? Oh, we'll give you one more about the resurrection. It's my belief that there's not a one person going to, at the resurrection, at the last day, there's not a one person is going to come out of the grave until the heavens depart as a scroll and the atmosphere is burned up and taken away. Now, most people, a lot of people put that, well, that's at the very end after a thousand years. You know, God's going to burn it all. You're going to have issue in a new heaven and earth, uh, paradise, etc., etc. Certainly, it's not going to be in the resurrection of the righteous, still going to have atmosphere because you have to have a seven-year tribulation, right? After, if that's the case, if that's the scenario, how, how's, the, how's the oxygen, how's the heavens going to be burned up and taken away and people still live? Well, they can't. But when the Lord comes and raises up his children at the last day, they don't need to breathe the oxygen anymore. You say, where do you get that from? I get that, I get that out of the Old Testament. You know, Job knew a lot of stuff. Do you know how much Job knew? He says, that, he says uh, I know it's so of a truth, but how shall man be just with God? He knew there was a way for man to be just with God, he, but he didn't know how. I mean, we have the gospel today. We, we have, Lord bless the gospel and understanding. We understand how man can be just with God, don't we? Job, he didn't understand how it is. He says, I know it's so of a truth, but how shall man be just with God? A lot of things he knew, but a lot of things he didn't know. Job, it said, well, how did how did Job know what he did know? He also said in the 19th chapter, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my uh, worms, uh, worms destroy this my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom mine own eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He says, I'm going to go to the way of all, I'm going to turn to dust, but I know, I know that he lives. And one of these days, I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I don't. He, he didn't know all how that's going to be, probably. But the Lord say, so how did he know those things? He knew those things because the Lord obviously taught him those things. I know my Redeemer liveth; he shall stand, and I'm going to see him with my own eyes. Had to be by the revelation of God. So he talked a lot about. Some things that you would think, well, he has no business knowing anything like that, except God must have revealed it to him. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee, and thou wilt have the works of thine hands. He realized God's going to bring him out. He knew that much. That's in Job chapter 14. Turn with me. Job chapter 14. I was just the one I just quoted is verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. He understood there was a change. And that God's gonna, He's gonna wait. God's gonna call, He's gonna answer. And over the 19th chapter, he says, I'm gonna see him with my own eyes. So he knew a lot. God revealed to him a lot of things. Not everything, but a lot of things. And the other thing that God revealed to him, he understood that what natural corporal death was. It's when that spirit and soul departs from the body. He knew that then. All right? Look here in Job chapter 14. Verse, Verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? What happens when a person dies? You know, a person made up of spirit, soul, and body. A living person has a spirit, soul, and body. A dead person just has a body because the spirit and soul depart as de- at death. <clears throat> All right, so he says, man dieth and wasteth away. Man giveth up the ghost, that's the spirit, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. 
That's, I'm glad there wasn't a period there. Man lies down, he doesn't rise again. No, he tells us when he rises. Man lieth down and riseth not. He says, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. He said, till the heavens be no more, they're not coming out. All right? Do you know when they're coming out? They're coming out on the day of the Lord. We find in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Did we hear that before? They'll be eating, drinking, giving in marriage. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He, Revelation 6 does talk about the heavens departing as a scroll. The heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. Men of this world says that everything started with a big bang. You know the big bang theory? Well, the Bible tells us the big bang is going to be at the end. With a great noise, these things are going to be taken away. You know, man gets everything backwards, right? They think it started with a big bang. The Bible says it's going to end with a big bang. Over in Isaiah chapter... uh, 5 verse 20, I believe, it says, Woe unto them that put uh, uh, darkness for light and light for darkness. They put evil for good and good for evil. I got those mixed up. That puts evil for good and good for evil. Puts light for darkness, darkness for light. Puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Just the opposite. But anyway, there's going to be a big bang here. And the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. That moment shall melt with fervent heat. All right? So, I find in the Bible, just talking about the resurrection of the dead, that there's a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Jesus is going to speak and they're all going to come out, the good and the bad. All right? It's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And that's going to happen when? When the Lord comes again, there's going to be a resurrection. I understand this. I understand. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And that's going to be on the last day. Christ is going to, he says, I'm going to raise them up at the last day. He says those who reject Christ and is going to be judged in the last day. And that's the same day that the Lord comes with 10,000 of the saints to execute judgment. I understand that's going to be on the last day. And we find here in 1 Thessalonians, and I don't have much time left, but in 1 Thessalonians, and I didn't share this with the young lady, this part. I'll share it with you. Um. Because I still got about three minutes, right? So, and it's important. Sometimes you have to pick and choose what you talk about that's on your mind because you can't talk about everything. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he ends with these words. He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. At what? He says, verse 16, for the the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. All right, there's the thief in the night. We, we just read that in 2 Peter, didn't we? The day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night, and the heavens be on fire shall pass away. This is the day of the Lord. And I was listening several, uh, uh, just kind of my, a couple of years, couple of years ago, maybe three by now, I was hearing some brother, some people on the radio who held the, the pre-mill position, and they were talking about chapter 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And they said, and they agreed among themselves Even though it doesn't look like there's a separation here, we know there's a thousand years between chapter 4 and 5. Because the day of the Lord is talking about the very end of the millennial reign. That it's going to come as a thief in the night. So we just know, I mean, we we, we know there's there's a separation. He's he's talking about something else now when he starts chapter 5. Well, when I'm reading that, it doesn't appear that way. You don't start a new subject with the word but, do you? How does, how does chapter 5 start? But. If I just called you up on the phone and said, 
But if you go down to this store, you're not going to find XX product. I'm, I'm starting a new conversation. You don't start one with but, do you? But uh, they said, but but uh, uh, but but brothers, you know, hello. But brother Sackett didn't say what you thought he said. What are you talking about? See the idea? You don't. He's not starting a new subject here in the fifth chapter. He's continuing on when the Lord comes and takes his children home. But guess what? That day is going to come as a thief of the night to some people. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As a woman with travail with child, they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are the children of the light and the children of the day. You're not a children of darkness. It's not going to come used as a thief in the night. And, and I, of, and if I, um, if I held the view that these people, the fourth chapters, they're going to be raptured up and they're going to escape the seven year tribulation. Then they're going to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Then of course, that day when he comes at the end of the thousand years isn't going to be like a thief on the night to them because they're already raptured, living and reigning with Christ a thousand years. And I submit to you that if that's the accurate scenario, then there is no question as to when the Lord's going to come back. It's a thousand seven years after the rapture. If they know when the rapture was, they know when the day of the Lord's coming, if that's what it's talking about at the end of the millennium. They may not know the right day, but you can get pretty close if it's really a thousand years. A thousand years. A thousand times 365, you could figure it up plus the seven years. If you were raptured, it wouldn't come as a thief in the night. And if that's the case, that's what this is talking about. Why is he telling them to be watchful? That it not overtake you as a thief. Let's keep reading. I believe he's talking about the day that the Lord comes back at the last day. Ye, brethren, not in darkness, that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of the light, the children of, of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the sleep. So he's exhorting them to be watchful because you don't, you know, I mean, he comes like a thief in the night. Be watching. He says, for they that sleep, don't be like those that aren't. He says, let us watch and be sober. He says, for they that sleep in the, the for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's the expectation of salvation. He's telling them to put on their Christian armor. It doesn't sound like that at this point they're going to be living and reigning with Christ a thousand years, ruling over and watching over the, the natural Israelite in this millennium. For some reason, I mean, you understand in the rapture is taught that they're glorified bodies and they're living with Christ and they're glorified bodies. Now he's telling them to put on the armor of God. Well, they're still here in this life, you see. And they're still waiting for the day of the Lord to come while they were here. And he says, for God had put on the hope of salvation, the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That is, whether we are awake or whether we're dead. Whether we're awake or whether we're dead. And I'm going to tell you at this point, if they've already been raptured, they're alive. Living and reign with Christ a thousand years. What do you mean if you're alive or dead? No, this was written to them to be watchful, to be sober, because the Lord's coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And those that are dead in the Lord, they're going to rise up. And you're going to rise with them and be forever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort, that's comforting. Well, it's also comforting to know that when the Lord comes back, that he's coming, yes, as a thief in the night to some. But it's not going to be to you. All right, You're the children of the day and children of the night. We're not of the darkness nor of night. We have a Savior. And God hath not appointed, you're supposed to put on this expectation of salvation. When the Lord comes again the second time to take you home, you have a, until he does, you have a helmet of salvation. You put, you put on the helmet, the hope or expectation of salvation. 
Why would you ever have an expectation of salvation when the Lord returns? Sure not because it's by chance, brother, it's by purpose. What does he say? Why would you have an expectation of salvation? You could arm your minds from the trials and sufferings and tribulations of this life in your journey here below. Why would you have this hope or expectation of salvation? He tells us in the next verse. He says, for God hath not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He appointed you to obtain salvation. That doesn't sound like chance, does it? He appointed you to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we're alive, whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or dead, when he comes again, we shall live together with him. And then what does he say? He says the same thing he did in the last verse of chapter 4. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. May God bless you for your good attention.